It is times when we go through great difficulties and we go through trials that we can have the temptation before us to believe that God has forgotten us, that God has left us. We don't begin to understand why we suffer the way that we do or experiencing the things that we experience, that we face certain difficulties and simply don't understand Well, how can these things be and God still know my condition and still be with me? Isaiah 49 deals with this issue as one can imagine that now that Israel has been told that because of their sins, they're going to be led captive and be enslaved in Babylon, that their reaction is going to be God has forgotten us. God has left us. In fact, notice in Isaiah 49 and verse 15, verse 14, Isaiah 49, 14, Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. And so what God is going to do in this chapter is explain how his people can know that you are not forgotten by God. And by seeing how God gives us explanation to Israel, I believe we can take heart and take courage from the same information and knowing that this is how God explains himself to us, that we can know no matter what we may encounter, that God has not forgotten us, that God has not forsaken us. Now, as we are starting in verse 7, if you recall, the first six verses are the second servant song given by Isaiah. Those first six verses we saw last week, very unique, where the servant now speaks. And the servant is describing, here is what God told me to do. And we observed in that lesson that this is Christ. Christ is that special servant that has been selected by God for a great task that he is going to be the light to the world, that he is going to be the one to not simply bring back Israel and reconcile them to God. That was too light of a thing, too small of a task that he was going to reconcile the world to God. So keep that in mind as we start verse 7, because it is still God speaking to his servant, Christ, about things uh, concerning this answer of how Israel is going to know that they're not forgotten by God. We'll read these a piece at a time, so let's just start with verse 7. Isaiah 49, verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves, because the Lord, who is faithful, The Holy One of Israel has chosen you. The beginning point is a continued description of this despised servant. And the dialogue that happens here, I think, continues to be astounding to learn what Isaiah is predicting is going to happen to the Christ all of these years in advance. Notice the first half of it. Here is what the Lord says. And notice he says, to one deeply despised, 
abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Here is this answer that God is giving of why you can know you are not for God. And as God continues to give this song that I am going to send a servant and I'm going to send a servant in the most unusual of ways because verse seven, he says he's going to be despised. And he's going to be abhorred by the nation. In fact, really unusual, what he says there is he's going to be a servant of rulers. This servant is going to be different than like Cyrus that we read about in chapters 44 and 45, where Cyrus becomes ruler over all the lands. This ruler, this servant is going to come. But he for a time is going to be in subjugation to rulers. But notice the reversal that happens in the middle of verse 7. After being deeply despised and abhorred by the nation and a servant of rulers, he says, But kings will see and arise and princes are going to fall down and they're going to bow down and worship because the Lord who is faithful has chosen you. And so there's going to be a dramatic reversal. The servant is going to come, be completely rejected, and not look like a world leader. But later, that's all going to be reversed because God has chosen him. And he is the special servant of God. That leads now to this beautiful picture of what this now means for the world. Verse 8. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you. And give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritage, to say to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways on all the bare heights shall their shall their shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind or sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar and behold, these from the north and from the west and these from the land of Syene. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people. And he will have compassion on his afflicted. So notice the movement. He says, so here's what's going to happen. And God speaks to the servant. And here's what he tells them. In a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. And I am making you to be a covenant to the peoples. This is going to be my response to the world. And my response to Israel is I am going to send the servant. And when the servant comes, he will be a covenant to the people. And notice how verse 8 gives a lot of those Abrahamic promises. Verse 8, establishing the land and apportioning the desolate heritages. Notice verse 9 begins a picture of a great exodus. He's going to call them out of darkness. He's going to call them out of the prisons. He's going to act then as this new Moses and new Joshua. As you see in verse 10, they're not going to hunger or thirst and scorching wind will not strike them. Verse 9, they're going to feed along the way and all the bare heights shall be the 
their pasture. It's a reminder of the time of the Exodus when God led them out of Egypt. They did not hunger. They did not have to thirst. God took care of them every step of the way. He fed them from heaven. He gave them water when they needed it. And so here he is using that imagery and saying, I'm going to send my servant and he's going to be the fulfillment of all of those promises. He's going to set the captives free. He's going to lead you out of darkness and he's going to be the covenant to you. He is going to be the whole embodiment of everything that God had promised. And now that's going to be given to you so that you can be set free. And there's going to be rejoicing so much that he says, verse 11, all the obstacles are going to be cleared and taken out of the way. The mountains are turned into roads and the highways are raised up. And you notice in verse 12, people from all over are going to come because God is going to show compassion to his afflicted. So this is like this ultimate declaration. Here's the the biggest proof we have that God has not forgotten his people, that God has not forsaken his people, is he is going to send the servant. And it's going to be a time of favor. It is going to be a time of compassion. And that servant will be a covenant to the people. And he's going to pull all of those who are in darkness and in prison out and lead them so that they are able to go to what has been promised to them. And there's going to be rejoicing as all the earth is able to do that. That's the primary answer. And that's what makes verse 14 so interesting is because here's God saying, I'm sending my servant. That's all you need to know. It's Zion goes, but but we are forsaken by God. God says, I'm going to send you a servant who's going to right all these wrongs, who's going to set you free, and you're going to have a covenant, and Israel sent back to God, just not really sure that God cares about us. And so the rest of this text, God's going to go, all right, let me show you some more then. My biggest example to you is my servant. I am sending him to save you. But if that were not enough, let me give you more reasons why you can know that you are not forgotten. And so from here to the end of chapter 50, verse 3, he now just unloads reason after reason why they can know and trust that God is going to keep his word and they are not forsaken. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Illustration number one, he says, any nursing mothers ever forget their child that's nursing? No. And if that wasn't strong enough, he says, maybe on some occasion you might be able to know of someone who's done that. Verse 15 says, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. It is impossible for God to forget his people is what he says. And he uses this picture as if it were possible for a mother to forget her child that is nursing. God does not forget his people. And then he presses it again in verse 16. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. I'm not one who does this. Some of you might. If you've ever tried to give yourself a reminder, and sometimes what you'll do is you'll write it on your hand, right? For lacking paper, lacking something else, you take a pen and you go, and that way you can't forget because it's right there on the palm of your hand. You have to see it. And God says, here's what you are to me. I have written you on the palm of my hand. 
So number one, you're my children and I cannot forget you. Number two, your name is on my palm and I cannot forget you. Do not think that you can possibly be forsaken or forgotten by God. Two beautiful images that God uses to drive that into their hearts. People who say, well, I just don't know. And we understand because you look at their circumstances They're in judgment. They're not on their land. They're in captivity. And God says, but you should know, despite your circumstances, that you are absolutely not forgotten by God. He then adds to it in verses 17 through 19. Your builders make haste, your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see they all gather, they come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them as a bride does. Let me stop there. Here God says, I'm going to put ornaments on you. I'm going to make you beautiful as if you were a bride. And we would read this and say, well, it sounds like he's talking about the physical return. Like in verse 17, well, the builders are going to make haste and the destroyers are going to go out. But that's not what he's talking about. Look at verse 19. Surely you your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land. Surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, this place is too narrow for me make room for me to dwell in then you will say in your heart who has borne me these I was bereaved and barren exiled and put away but who has brought up these behold I was left alone from where have these come here is God saying I am going to destroy your enemies I am going to deal with those who stand against you and the reason that we know that he's not referring to the physical return of Israel out of Babylon is the language of the end of verse 19 and the picture that's given in verse 20. He says, here's what's going to happen. You are going to have so many people in Zion that people are going to say, there's no room for me. So many people are going to belong to Zion. So many people are going to come in. That people are going to be looking around and going, we have no place to stay. There's no elbow room in this place. The walls are too tight. And we know that was never the case for physical Jerusalem. We know it was a small fraction that came out of Babylonian captivity. It is a picture of God's holy people. There's going to be so many of God's people, the new Zion, God's covenant people. So many are going to come into this covenant that he says it's going to be like standing room only. That's the feeling it's it's going to have. And so God pictures this beautiful image of Zion such that in verse 21, this bereaved Zion is going to say, where did all these people come from? (laughs) Where did they all come from? How can there be all these people who belong? And he's already, of course, giving an idea of going out to the nations, which is what the promise was back to the servant. The servant's role, it's too small of a thing to reconcile Israel. You will be a light to the ends of the earth and you will bring them all in. This is why it would be that Zion will be too small and they will look around and go, where did all these people come from? And so a beautiful picture is given there. And notice he continues to describe how special his people are. Verse 22. 
Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples and they shall bring your sons in your in their bosom and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens, your nursing mothers with their faces to the ground. They shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. So here is the picture going even further and saying, you are my special people. And notice the reversal that is depicted there where he says, now kings and queens are going to be your fathers and your mothers. And they're going to bow down before you and lick the dust of your feet. Notice how that picture is exactly what we saw in verse seven. Verse 7 saw the servant despised and abhorred by the nation and a servant of rulers. But the end of verse 7 said, but there's going to be vindication. There's going to be a reversal that's going to happen to the servant. And now God says the same thing is going to happen for his people. The same thing will happen to them. They are beat down. They are in the dirt and they are suffering. But God says, I'm going to reverse that. And now you are going to be glorified and vindicated and exalted because you are my chosen people and you belong to me. And so that is what he is doing. But notice what he says at the end of verse 23. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. So he tells them you have to wait for it. It's not coming tomorrow. You're going to have to put your trust in me. You're going to have to wait for God to accomplish these purposes. And you can think here we are standing in around 701 B.C. As Isaiah prophesies, we're over 700 years away from Christ's ministry. And we're even further away from the arrival of the kingdom in Acts 2. And here is this great picture. And he's saying, just wait for it and you're going to see it. Just wait for it to happen and I'm going to prove to you that my people are not forgotten. You're going to see it in the most magnificent way. And he goes on then in verse 24. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the tyrant be rescued? Uh, Answer to that, no. (laughs) Can the prey be taken from the mighty? No, not at all. Verse 25, for thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, the prey and the tyrant shall be rescued, for I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children, and I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they will be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Here is God saying, I am going to do this. You can trust me. You can believe in me. Have no doubt that this can be done for I am stronger than all of these things. And I will give you the honor that I have promised. Especially I love verse 26. You've got to love that. I always get excited about completely graphic language in the Bible like that. Who's going to eat the flesh and destroy them all over the place? But does that sound familiar to something in the New Testament? Remember in the book of Revelation, when chapter 19, when you see Christ coming in on the white horse and he is victorious and he has slaughtered all the enemies, this very similar description is given in verse 21. And so it's just a great image of God is going to conquer his enemies, but take that a step further. Because what God is promising is he conquers the enemies of God's people. 
It's not just simply God going around vindicating himself. It is also God going and vindicating his people, which is the message of the book of Revelation. Here are the people of God suffering, persecuted, and killed. And God says, I vindicate my people, and your enemies are God's enemies. And God will do something about it. Isaiah is predicting it right here and saying, I will deal with your enemies. I will take care of them. And so it is a reminder then to Israel, trust me. Trust in the Lord. Trying to rely upon yourself is only foolishness and destruction. In fact, I believe these things are occurring to remind them, turn to God. If they hadn't forgotten God and had trusted God in the first place, none of these events would be unfolding before them. And things that happen in our lives are often a reminder to us we need to keep our eyes on God. It is so easy to become short-sighted in the middle of our difficulties and believe, well, God doesn't care. And fail to see the ultimate vindication that God has accomplished. We'll talk about that more in just a moment, but I need to bring in these other three verses. Horrible chapter break. That chapter break should begin at the end of chapter uh, at the end of verse three. So let's add in those first three verses. Chapter fifty, verse one. Thus says the Lord. Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that I cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, by my rebuke, I dry up the sea and I make the rivers a desert. Their fish stink for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth her covering. This is awesome because God just simply gives another image to know that we are not forgotten by God. He says, did you ever receive divorce papers in all of this? Nothing's permanent. That God has done these things. And remember the primary point, I'm sending the servant to deliver you. And that's how you know you are not forsaken and you are not forgotten. And now God is pushing that even further and saying, I'm making reconciliation possible. How can we think that God has forgotten us when he has gone to such great lengths to reconcile the world to himself? And that's what he gives them in verse 1. Is anything permanent? Have I divorced you forever? Have I sold you away? No, that has not happened. And then goes on in verse 2 and verse 3 and says, I have the power to accomplish anything. So how can we believe that we would be forsaken? Now, you might have caught something really neat in this text. Go back to verse 8 of chapter 49. And you might recognize that that's quoted by the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll notice verse 20. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, here's our quote. In a favorable time, I listened to you in a day of salvation. I have helped you behold. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What the Apostle Paul does, he comes along and says, remember what Isaiah said? Here's the proof that we have that God has not forsaken his people. He says, look to the cross, look to Christ. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time. Isaiah was speaking and prophesying of here's what God says to the servant. One of these days, it'll be the favorable time. One of these days, reconciliation will come and I will make you as a covenant to the people and set them free from the darkness and take them out of the prisons and I will take away the obstacles and they will be blessed and be my people. And then Paul just comes along and goes, that's now. That's right now. Now is that favorable time. Now is that day of salvation. Christ is the fulfillment of that. And therefore, we have access to something amazing that Christ, our covenant, now blesses us, cares for us, redeems us, saves us. Isaiah, thinking of a hopeful day when all this would happen. And here we are on the other side. And we look back at this and go, look at all that we have in Christ. This fits with the rest of the scriptures described. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, where he says there, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The writer of Hebrews says, live your life correctly. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God is with you. He has not forsaken you. I think the connection is you don't have to trust in material things. You don't have to trust in your job. You don't have to put your hope in other people. God has not forsaken you. So be content with what you have and don't think that you're going to find life, meaning and ultimate things, seeking it out in the rest of the world. God is with you and he has made an important promise. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you such that verse six becomes powerful. It doesn't matter what happens to us. The Lord is our helper. What can anybody do to us? Essentially, I think the writer of Hebrews says, bring it on. Just bring it on. I have the Lord with me and he has made an amazing promise to never leave or forsake us. And so we can handle anything that comes along. Similarly, John 10, verse 27. I loved these few verses when we were studying the, the gospel of John. John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from the father's hand. Here is Christ saying, I have come to redeem and reconcile and it doesn't matter what happens to you. It doesn't matter how severe the suffering is. It doesn't matter what the trial is. It doesn't matter what the difficulty is. God will not leave you or forsake you. That's why Romans 8 is so great. 
It doesn't matter if it's sword or famine or peril or whatever it is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So let me zero you back in on 2 Corinthians 6.1 because here's the appeal that the Apostle Paul makes. Since now is the time of the Lord's favor and now is the day of salvation, listen to his appeal in verse 1. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then he uses this being the day of salvation as the reason why. This is the quotation to back it up. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. I think he's getting at two concepts. Number one, God has promised that you are known by God, you are cared by God, you are loved by God. How can we say that God does not care? How can we say that we are forgotten by God? He gives us, number one, look at the cross. He gives us, number two, can a mother forget the child? Number three, you are engraved on my hands. You are known by God. You are loved by God. You are cared by God. And the cross is the ultimate display of it. And the temptation that Satan then gives us is to believe that God does not care. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is when we put our foot in that trap, we've received the grace of God in vain. We are failing to believe and hold on to the promises that God has gave. We're failing to believe those very words where he has said, I haven't left you. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. I've been with you through thick and thin. I've reconciled you. I've shown you everything that I can possibly show you so that you would know that you belong to me. And then it's easy for us when disaster strikes to go, well, God's left me. And that's Satan trying to pull us away from God because God says that's not the case. That is not possible. Is what God is saying. Your name is engraved on his hand. So do not believe for a moment that that God has forgotten you, that God does not care, that you are not loved by God. Because the moment we do, then we're saying that I don't believe that God keeps his word. And that's what he told what Isaiah told them. The faithful wait on the promises of God. The faithful hold fast to the promises that God has given. Wait for it and vindication will come. Wait for it and one day we will receive all that God has promised. Experiencing now simply a down payment, a partial expression of the greater things to come. Do not fall back. Do not give up hope. And do not lose heart, for you are not forgotten by God. You pull your song books out, and we sing invitation song, and we invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to see the promises of God. To invite you to see that God has made an amazing promise that I'll never leave you or forsake you, and how Jesus becomes the covenant to us of that truth. When you read like Romans 5 and you ask yourself, what else could God do to demonstrate his love for us? What more could he possibly do?
And it's sad that we easily fall into the trap of thinking that God does not care. He's with us every step of the way. And He continues to be patient and long-suffering towards sinners like us, begging us to put our faith in Him, begging us to trust Him, begging us to put our lives in His hands and trust that where He leads is worth following and we will give our lives to Him completely. Trust in that promise. Trust in that salvation. Will you turn away from your sins? Confess Jesus to be the Master, the Lord, the Son of God. And follow Him and serve Him with all of your heart. Be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. We invite you to come forward and do that right now while we stand and while we sing.